Welcome to Catch Outdoors. I'm your host, Captain Rob Modis. Contact email catchoutdoors at gmail.com. Website catchoutdoors.com. Facebook page Catch Outdoors. I have a couple of books available on Amazon Kindle. Thanks much to everyone that's purchased both Bridge to Paradise and What I Know About Fishing Southwest Florida. Now working on number three. No title just yet, but it is going to be about fishing. Today's episode, number 32, Florida Keys Fishing, Shelling. Oh, and I added something on that wasn't in the initial title, some exciting air show news. <laughs> uh, you know, we're going to talk fish and we're going to talk a little bit about some shell. I had a special request from someone that, that said they read a story of mine a while back about shelling and enjoyed it and wanted to know a little bit more detail in which they sent me some... Uh, can you tell me about this, this, and this? And I'm like, yeah, sure, why not? That's a good idea, actually. Um, and then the air show uh, yesterday, which was Sunday. Well, actually, it went all weekend, Saturday and Sunday. We uh, had the Fort Lauderdale air show here, which was very exciting. The Air Force Thunderbirds were here, as well as many, many other jet aircraft, prop aircraft, uh, stunt planes, U.S. Coast Guard helicopters, and... Just all kind, you know, skydivers. The whole it was great. It's a uh, tenth annual, tenth annual show, um, and this year it was the full whole. You know, you know, COVID caused pieces of it the year before. They they actually ran one in I believe it was November, uh, a year and a half ago. But anyway, so it was it was great to be back on the beach. Great to really see the whole show again. And Jonelle and I live close enough to the beach. We're only a mile or two away. The practice runs, which started midweek, like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, were right over the house. So we got a whole, we got almost a whole week of air show. So let's start with fishing. Um, this came about this this whole fishing story. This takes place in Isla Mirada, Florida, down in the Florida Keys. Um, it all took place thanks to a uh, group of folks. I, I sat in on a meeting that was actually a meeting with my wife and these guys. And it was part of Waypoint, Waypoint Television, um, who, you know, they're on, they're on Discovery and Valley Sports, Sportsman's Channel. Um, I'm sure many, many of you listening have heard of Saltwater Experience. That's one of their big shows. And they have since added um, Into the Blue. And then there's a, a new one, too, uh, coming to Freshwater, from what I understand. Uh, but anyway, um, I was in there talking, and one thing led to another. Oh, you've got a podcast? Oh, we do fishing podcasts. Would you like to be a part of this? And I'm like, hell yeah. <laughs> of course I would, um, because I'm familiar with the Waypoint, and I'm familiar with the saltwater experience. I mean, that's one of the greatest of the of the saltwater fishing shows on, on television. has been for quite some time. And I'm also a big Tom Rowland fan. Met Tom Rowland through Bass Pro years ago when I was working over there. And, and I'd wind up doing a show because of Real Talk Radio. And Tom Rowland would be there because of his TV show. So we got quite a bit of a uh, chance to talk to each other. So anyway, I'm pretty excited. I met uh, their advertising director. His name is uh, Josh Dickerson. And, and Josh was super. And in conversation, Josh just basically said, would you, Jonelle, would you and Jonelle like to go fishing here in the Keys? We're like, yeah, heck yeah. So they had some trips already planned. And uh, and after we got home, uh, I got a note said, hey, you know, we got a Thursday open. And would you like to come down? This was the past 
past Thursday. And I'm like, yeah, heck yeah, I'd like to come down. So uh drove down to Alamorada on Wednesday. It's great living on this coast, man. I can get to Alamorada now in a little under two hours. Actually, I can get to Key Largo in about 90 minutes. So it's it's wonderful. Yay, Keys. It's in my blood. It really is. Um, got down there, spent the night Wednesday, got up bright and early, and went down to the marina. And oddly enough, the marina that I went to is the, it's all been redone now. Anglers, I'm sorry, I can't remember the name off the top of my head. It's it's right down the road from the Lorelei um, on the bay side. And it used to be called the Matacumbe Marina. And Janelle and I kept our boat there. 25 years ago. <laughs> I couldn't believe when I rolled in there. Um, it looks sort of the same, but not. You know, still areas to park boats. Uh, great big, huge tiki um, structure, and not a hut. Tiki structure in the middle of the place. They've added a swimming pool. They've got place to park the boats. And, of course, the ramp is still there. But anyway, it kind of it was like, wow, I can't believe I've, I'm full circle in this place. Uh, so it was Josh and I, and we met our guide, uh, Captain Casey Spalding. And Casey, fourth generation, young. I, I didn't ask, but I'm going to guess late 20s. And boy, does that boy know the water. I'll tell you that right now. Not only does he know the water, he's got eyes. He's got those eyes when you're up on the pulling platform and you can see things that your anglers can't see. And I'm pretty good at spotting stuff because of all my time on the water. Let me tell you what, that boy just shines when it comes to, to finding fish. And and that was important that day. Uh, dead calm. I mean, you have never, I, well, I've seen it. You all may never seen it it's like this. It was just glass. And it was glass almost all day. It I don't think we got more than a breath of air. Ran us, uh, I don't know, um, well, I know between Alamorada and Flamingo, it's about 30 miles, so we had to put on 60 miles, 50, 60 miles. Went out of the crystal clear water up into the green water, I call it. That's the over by the Gulf where the water changes colors in Florida Bay and started hunting. And the first stop was for snook, and the first stop was highly successful. The water was a, a funny green color, uh, floating grass. You know, not the easiest stuff in the world to fish. But like I said, Casey had great eyes, so he would, he'd spot a snook. And what we were doing basically is just the typical Florida Bay fishing. you got these great big, huge open flats with uh, little bitty cuts in them where the water travels through as the tide moves. And when I say a cut, we're talking about 9 or 10 inches of water drops down to a whopping 14, 16 inches of water, maybe. That's the cut. Um, and the fish travel in those cuts, especially when the tide's moving, uh, almost always will face it. That's where the food comes from. So we had, we had some pretty good shots. And then I'd say about just about an hour into it, he just, he, he, there was excitement in his voice cause he saw a big one laying up on the edge, got me up on the bow. I made about four errant casts with casts without hitting the thing, you know, a little wide, but what was great about I couldn't see the fish. I really could not see it, but Casey could from his vantage point because he's, you know, on that polling platform, he's four or five feet taller than I am. A, a good four or five, maybe, maybe eh, more like six feet, maybe. But anyway, um, he was uh, instructing, you know, I made cast wide. I'm, if I remember right, it was wide right. He's like, bring it left, you know, five feet. I brought it left four feet. He says, not close enough. And the reason it wasn't close enough, in most cases, a fish will just jump on it when it's that close. Not not this time. Uh, because the water was so cloudy, you know. Um, repeated rains, 
low tide, you know, I could go on and on, but I dropped that thing on the third or fourth cast, I don't remember which, right in front of this nook, and this nook just wolfed it down. This was, this was a, it was a beast. A uh, head came out of the water, and I commented, I think the head weighs 10 pounds, and um, ran for a bit, took about four or five minutes to get him turned and get him landed. We're losing light, we're using light spin, but a really good control rod. If you know what you're doing, you're not going to wind up wearing the fish out. You're not going to fight it for 15 or 20 minutes. I think I got it. I'm going to guess four to five minutes, maybe a little lower. Uh, you pull hard on them is what you do. Uh, you had Loomis equipment. The rod was a Loomis rod. Uh, white eight-pound braid, which I thought was great. I love eight-pound braid because you can cast it a mile. And then he ties a tip on. I think he said he ties 20 braid onto the end of the eight because he's stepping up to a 40-pound leader. Now, he he told me he he hates to use below 30 with snook, and, and all of us do. I mean, snook have got ridiculous gills that will cut you off in a heartbeat. But in this case, uh, we were able to use the 40 because of the water being so cloudy. Uh, using soft plastics, dark, dark-colored soft plastics, and uh, little split tails, and an offset hook, an offset weighted owner hook, the, the, the hooks that have the uh, little weights. Uh, on the shanks i'm going to say it was a 132nd or 116th just from holding it in my hand it was you know just enough to get it down under that grass but you don't want it to go like sticking to the bottom so you need just enough weight to get it down there so anyway the snook comes in winds up he's 38 38 inches uh, i'm going to guesstimate over 30 pounds uh my doctors won't let me lift more than that from back surgeries and i know i was right there which put a grin on casey's face he got up there for some pictures you want to see photos of facebook pages my my personal facebook page has got them and they're also on instagram under capped rob modis and uh man oh man and then shortly after that we moved down the same little canal josh had a shot and missed um put me back on the bow Got up there and got a 35-inch snook. Pretty much exactly the same routine. The only difference, this one was it ran across the flat and a big old shark. I think it was a bull. I, I don't remember whether he said it was a bull or a lemon. He could see better than I could, but a shark showed up. Uh, so I popped the bail open, let the snook run. We all pounded on the deck. Shark turned around and took off in the opposite direction. Thank goodness. Cranked the line back down and my fish was still there and brought him in. He was 35, over 20 pounds. Beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful fish. These are gorgeous fish in really great shape. Nice and, sh you know, that, that shiny color they are when they're close to the gulf. Um, a little bit later, we moved over to a whole different flat, and I got a slob redfish. I, I'm sorry, I didn't measure it. Uh, I, it was, I would say, over slop, but it was one of those fish where you're, like, if it were a slop fish, it'd be a winner because it was so nice and round, like a nine pound, you know, nine, nine to ten pound, which is a top tournament redfish then we went looking we were trying to get the grand slam so we went uh tarpon hunting found tarpon but no takers went permit hunting found one two three three schools four schools of permit running across the no takers in this case we had switched to a live crab they just didn't want any part of us um and by that time it was time to start to head back home stopped on a flat down at the bottom near alamrata and did a little quick little search for bonefish but we could all sense the day was kind of just winding down. Um, I cannot wait to get back. I really can't. Um, uh, Jonelle and I have a trip scheduled with Casey in uh, middle May. So hopefully there'll be more stories to tell at that point. And hopefully Janelle will get herself on a, on a whopper snook. 
things I learned. Um, you know, every time you go out, you learn something new. I learned a little bit about rigging for bonefish that I don't do. That was interesting. I'm not going to relay it here because it was one of Casey's secret methods. Um, so if you ever get a chance to fish with Casey, you need to ask him about that. <laughs> um, the, the, it was so good to be back in this, what I call my old stomping grounds, because re- reality is, you know, when I, when we first got a boat, we got a boat over in Fort Lauderdale. We fished the Florida Keys. We kept it at the Matacoon Bay Marina. We went down almost every other weekend and it was way before GPS. So Janelle and I would go out and go up into the bay and work, you know, work as far as we felt comfortable and go home. And we did that repeatedly over weeks, months, and eventually got all the way up to Flamingo, which felt like a real victory. Because let me tell you what, man, there ain't much, you know, you're out of sight of land once you once you get six, seven miles up into the bay. You can't see much behind you. So um, there's also a zillion little canals that you need to stay in. You do not want to tear up the grass flats in Florida Bay. That is a big time no-no. Matter of fact, it's a finable no-no. Um, so they have the park service has got markers, these little channels with, with pointed markers to help you find your way. And you start to learn the names of each of the channels and where to go and how to get from point A to point. B. There is no direct line. Let's just put it. You don't just drive into Florida Bay. So it was thrilling to be back. It was thrilling to see and to ask Casey, is that, and he'd go, no, that's over there. You know, like I knew the names of them, but I didn't know exactly. Other than the Twin Key Bank, I didn't have trouble with that and, and Tin Can Channel up the very at the very top. But the other channels, I was mystified, like, where's Rabbit Key? Well, it's right over there. Where's Sam Key? Oh, it's over there. You know, <laughs> but it was really, really great to be back. And it was great to get some really, really uh, superior fish on the line. Uh, Casey, if you listen to this, thank you so much. Um, you've obviously learned a lot, and we'll, we'll be fishing with you again and again and again, I hope. Quick note on the podcast part. Um, so I will be, as everything is in line, uh, contracts being worked on. Uh, don't worry, I'll let you know when things, things are not going to switch around that much for the listeners. You're all still, you know, Apple Podcasts, they distribute on a whole bunch of podcasts. So it's not like you're not, you know, I'll still be on Spotify and that. The difference is I'll be part of the Waypoint uh, Outdoor Collective and part of the Waypoint Podcast, which is mostly, no, it's all outdoors. So my podcast won't change that much. I'll be doing a, it'll be a little stronger on fishing, obviously, which that's okay. I like talking fishing. Um, but it will also cover a lot of the other outdoor things that I think people enjoy in Florida. And, uh, I'm pretty excited about that. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, shelling. Florida is, (laughs) it's, let's put it this way. The West coast of Florida. Now there's a little, I'm I'm talking about the difference here, but the West coast of Florida is what I'm specifically talking, speaking of, um, the shelling on, on the West, lower West coast of Florida is, by all, you know, every report that you read or every article that I've read, it's number two in the world. The only other spot that people really go to for shells is the Philippines. And, you know, that's just what I've gleaned from, from my readings. But 
uh, Sanibel Island on the west coast of Florida, the southwest coast of Florida, is 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 like the the mecca, if you will. Now I'll argue that a little bit because I, I enjoy shelling on Sanibel. I've seen them pile up on Sanibel, and I know it's got that reputation. But you can go all the way down to Marco Island and down even in, into the uh, small islands in the on the upper end of the Everglades National Park, and you will find some beautiful shells down there. And obviously Captiva, which is just north of that, all the way up to Clearwater, where I used to live, all the way up near Tampa Bay. But Sanibel has a very unique um, position, uh, and that is what really helps capture these things. Sanibel, most people look at Sanibel as a uh, north-south island off the coast of Florida. So it's right off the coast of Fort Myers, Fort Myers Beach. Uh, and then in the north end of Sanibel is the island of Captiva. So you have about 11 miles, I'm going to guesstimate, on this of Sanibel. And then you got a couple few miles of Captiva stuck on top of that. Above that, you have North Cap. Uh, and then you have Cayacosta, um, uh, uh, the Cayacosta State Park, which, by the way, is also an outrageously great shelling area. Um, so these the, the reason Sanibel is so good, Sanibel is not a, truly a northeast island until you get around the, the boot. It's basically shaped like a boot. And the lower part of Sanibel is literally more east-west than it is north-south. And then, then the island curves around and goes north, at the, at, obviously, at the boot heel. That, because of its shape, where it is, and the capture of, of water coming in, that's what I believe makes it a great shelling location. It's, it just it captures shells like, like crazy. Also, you have to keep in mind the Gulf versus the Atlantic is radically different. Atlantic fishing, oh, fishing, see, there I go. Atlantic shelling, um, it's very deep water coming across a reef onto a beach. I would, I'm telling you right now, most of the better shells are found when you're out there diving. Um, once it gets caught in the reef, that's pretty much the end of it. Plus, it's fairly rough. I mean, let's face it, there's a rolling sea almost all the time on the Atlantic, so shells get broken. Um, West Coast? Nope, not at all. As a matter of fact, there is a slow, slow shelf running from very shallow at the beach to the deeper depths. You're going to go have to go out 30, 40 miles out into the out into the Gulf of Mexico to find water that's 60, 70, 80 feet deep. I mean, you're going to have to really work to get deep. So you have this very gradual shelf with almost nothing in the way uh, to bring those shelves up on the beach. Um, now, the questions I was asked, okay, so when do you shell? That was one of the big ones. <laughs> Simple, early in the morning at best. Get there before everybody else. Act like you're a fisherman and beat them there. Um, <laughs> the Sanibel Stoop, and that's uh, that's what it's called. These people that are looking down, wading in the water, hunting for shells, they, they call that the Sanibel Stoop. In the morning, these people wear headlamps. They literally wear the, you know, fishermen use them too for tying knots in the morning or or, or even getting your boat ready on the trailer or your kayak ready on the trailer. You put these little these little helmet lights on or these hat lights on so you can see what you're doing. Same deal. Uh, they wait out in the water, knee deep, and they look for the shells that haven't quite made it to the beach yet. Um, best shelling time is early uh, and low tide. Uh, if, you can, if you can get there right as the tide is finishing up going out and before it switches and comes back it makes hunting for the shells easier obviously wind out of the east because you're on the west coast if you've got a breeze you want it out of the east so it's not you know 
uh, riffling on the water, and you can see better that way. But the the big clue is the flashlight early in the morning. And believe you me, I've seen them. I would set up out there to fly fish along Sanibel's Beach for snook, and I'd find these these shellers, and they'd literally beat you there. The good news about them is they don't disturb the fish that much. Once they've walked through, if there's any snook in the area, they'll kind of come back in. But you know, it's just it's part of the deal. Um. Also, now daylight, if you start, as the sun comes up and you start hunting for shells in the daylight, it's best if you have a really good pair of polarized sunglasses. And this lady asked me a question about that. Like, how much do you spend? <laughs> a lot. <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, they make a, there's a whole bunch of fishing glasses available on the counters of fishing stores. And they'll range anywhere from $9.99 to, oh, I don't know, $19.99. And they, you know, polarized fishing glasses. Yeah, they are. They work. But they're nowhere near as good at cutting the glare as a top-end pair of glasses. And there's, you know, I mean, Costa is a well-known name. Uh, I could, I could mention many, many others, but I, you know, you know, you get the gist. Go to a fishing store. Uh, go to a, I mean, Smith Optics is one that I, I really like. Smith Optics is, to me, is kind of new. I mean, I've always been a Costa fan and Warren Costas, but the Smiths are really, really great. Uh, and again, like I said, there's others, but. You want, um, I prefer when I'm shelling a amber lens, all right? So not the, not the blue for like deep sea fish and not the green, uh, but an amber lens. An amber lens, are, as, as it sounds, are kind of a brownish orange color. And they really, really cut the glare. And that's what you're after. I mean, the biggest problem you have fishing in, uh, fishing, there I go again, <laughs> shelling in daylight. Well, it's for fishing too. So that's why my brain's going that way. Um, I also wear amber glasses whenever I'm fishing on the West Coast in the in the back bays because it cuts that glare and it lets you see fish. And, and in the case of shelling, the shells just pop. Um, one of the things that I do for shelling is I'll look for oddball colors. Um, I, I really like to um, try to find the... Uh, most of the shells are like glossy. It's hard to explain. They're, they're beige or white or whatever. The better shells typically have some sort of color or spots, like the Genonia, which is a highly sought after, very, very rare shell on the West Coast. Um, the Genonia is, a, is basically creamy white with brown spots. If you're wearing amber glasses, those brown spots pop out more. So it enables you to see something that's normally very, very hard to find. Um, so anyway, a really good pair of sunglasses. So, uh, calm east wind visibility is very important, whether it's in the evening or not, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Now, uh, and then it was like, besides the wind to shell, she was like, what's the best? Well, what's the best thing? Uh, right after storms. Uh, and there's no question about it. When I worked over on the West coast as a guide, um, I did shelling trips too. Uh, it helped fill the void in the summer when people weren't fishing quite as much. And, and by the way, they were great. And I'd run people up to North Cap usually, North Cap Teva, up in that area. Uh, a couple of reasons for that. Number one, it's uh, it's accessible only by boat, so you have far less shellers than you da have down on Cap Teva and Sanibel, where you can drive your car to it. Um, it has a, it has it just has an abundance of shells, and it's a beautiful island. You pull up let people out on the island, let them hunt for shells for a while, pick them back up, and then run them back home. Um, I love doing North Cap, but I had clients that would call me when the storm was forecast. They would say, oh, there's something tropical coming. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And you got any idea when it'd be over? No, I really don't. But, you know, let's just say they're saying Thursday or Friday it'll be past, so 
you know, there you go. They would book a trip. They'd book a trip Friday, Saturday, early, very early, <laughs> like I said. And that what they were doing was really smart. I mean, once a tropical blow comes through, what it's doing is it's, it's just basically pushing all kinds of shells out of the water right up onto the beach. You should have seen it. After a tropical blow or a hurricane, shells would be uh, over knee high, thigh high, sometimes waist high, piled onto the beaches. It's, it's, it's an amazing sight. And your better shellers, what they do is literally plop themselves down on top of the pile and dig. They start basically just scooping into the shells because it, it, what's on top is not as important, but you know, especially once it gets picked over. But the good stuff is down below. Quick story. After Hurricane Charlie, uh, which damn near put me out of business for two months, I guess. Charlie really screwed up Pine Island Sound, something terrible when it came through. Cat 4, so of course it did. It wrecked houses up in Charlotte Harbor. It, it was just a mess. Um, I, I went out, uh, well, the, we got hired at the docks by some of the county people to run ice up there, generators, things like that. Um, North Captiva, the island I was just talking about, got cut in half. Uh, the hurricane opened, literally opened a canal down the middle of the thing, which has since grown over and filled back in. But for a while we had, we had like a, a new, new pass as I refer to it. <laughs> there's a new pass. If you don't get that, there's a new pass down on Fort Myers beach area down on lover's key. So I called it new, new pass. But anyway, um, I, I loaded Janelle up in the boat. We took off, uh, went up there, and I said, man, it, it, you have to come see this. You have to see this giant cut through this island. It's insane. There were trees out, in the, whole trees. It, it uprooted entire Australian pines and put them in Pine Island Sound uh, on the east side of the island where it, it just literally blew them out of the, out of the ground. Um, so we, we carefully motored up in there, um, put the boat up on the bow on the beach and got out and started walking. And we found the most fabulous shells you have ever seen. It was amazing. We, we still have the jar. The jar is here at the house. We call it the Hurricane Charlie jar. Um, it, we found, I think we found three Janonias. We had at least one good one and two broken ones. There was all kinds of other beautiful shells, just tons of really great stuff that's really hard to find. All in about... I don't know. I think we might be spent 90 minutes up there, an hour and a half, two hours until we, you know, had our fill. That also wound up being a fabulous fishing place, by the way. It was featured in a lot of fishing shows. The, <laughs> the root balls off of these trees created washouts. So in other words, you have to picture an entire tree that's 40, 50, 60 feet in height blown out into the, into the bay. Into, and the bays are shallow now. Don't get me. This is not deep. So if you're picturing something like a lake, it's not. This is the water is uh, averages three or four feet deep. Blew the trees out there, and then with the tides and time, uh, the water started getting washed out around the root balls. And guess where all the fish were? <laughs> Redfish, snooks, snapper, sea trout. Oh my goodness! Even some, even some uh, in the cooler months. Uh, toward winter time, there were a whole bunch of um, uh, grouper moved in there, so it was funny because the fishing shows were taping shows, and and people, I thought people at home are going to see this and they're going to come roaring down here, and and it all filled back in, plain and simple, just like everything else does in water. Give it time, and Mother Nature will sort of take care of stuff, and it closed the pass up, it filled the holes in, <laughs> the trees rotted away, and that was the end of that. 
So shelling is fabulous after storms. Just keep that in mind. If you're if you're really looking for the spot and you really want to get, you know, you're a serious collector and you really want to hit it. If you live in Southwest Florida or if you vacation Southwest Florida and you happen to hit around a pretty good, and I'm not talking like it's got to, you know, blow your socks off. Just a really good storm, a two or three day wipe out where you can't do anything but go shopping, that kind of storm. Uh, you can't go to the beach. You can't, yeah, right. 35, 40 mile an hour winds, right at tropical winds, you know, gale force. That's going to produce some amazing shelling. And it's going to produce it for days. You're going to get the people that pick over it pretty quick. But because of the shell piles, you'll you'll be able to find uh, lots of them. So there's your shelling tips. I hope you're happy. <laughs> Thanks for the note. I appreciate you sending it to me. All right, last but not least, I'm going to give you a quick rundown of the uh, Fort Lauderdale Air Show. Golly, Moses, that was exciting. The, the featured act, if you will, was the... Um, uh, Air Force Thunderbirds, um, they they put on a heck of a show. Uh, we were comparing it to the Blue Angels, and we love both. Uh, we think that the Thunderbirds did a few more better sneak ups, and I don't, you know, we call them sneak attacks. And those of you that have been to air shows, especially fighter jet type shows. They're famous for this. They'll get your eyes out. In our case, it's over the water. So, by the way, it's it's beautiful. You go to the beach to go to an air show. How can you beat that? Um, out over the water, they were. They'll do loops. They'll do clover leaves. They'll do. They'll do all kinds of. You know, Florida leaves. They'll do all kinds of things with the with the trails, the smoke trails coming out of the back of the jet, and. Then there'll be a sneaky jet that's off all by itself somewhere, the fighter jet, and he'll come screaming over the beach from an angle that you didn't expect. And we got several of those. Uh, you know, hair on your arm stands up, everybody ducks and then starts laughing. It was, it's, I think I have a video one I'm going to have to post. Uh, but the air show had quite a bit of stuff going on. We had, uh, we had F-16 Vipers. We had um, A-10 Warthogs. Uh, the F-35C, oh my gosh, that's the newest of the fighter jets, the Navy fighter jet. You should see that thing. You should hear that thing. <laughs> it's unreal. Uh, we had a V-22 Osprey. The Osprey, this is that, do you call it a helicopter or do you call it an airplane? <laughs> if you've never seen one, it's got these huge props that face upward, so it can be a helicopter. It can hover. They can rotate the props forward, and it can fly at 200 miles an hour, just just like a, you know, like a aircraft amazing it was me i had never seen one transition the props in flight I, I i couldn't picture do they slow down do they go fast yeah no they actually can literally rotate the entire engine and props forward or straight up depending on what they need it must take a ton of coordination to get that handled the uscg my alma mater it was nice to see them out there they uh, did a a rescue sequence with a helicopter right in front of the beach. They dropped the dummy out. They got the basket. The rescue driver went and diver went into the money, money into the water. Uh, then they put the basket down, loaded. You know, they did, they did the whole scenario. It was really cool. Congratulations, Coast Guard. It was nice to see you guys out there. Um, F-15 Strike Eagles, uh, F-18 Super Hornets, uh, the Red Bull Air Force was there. That was pretty amazing. That was Kirby Chambliss. Uh, he's, he's the guy that flies a stunt. And Michael Goulian was there as well. He also was a stunt pilot. T-38 Talon. Uh, let's see. Oh, the Red Bull Helicopter. Uh, okay, it's a helicopter that can do uh, loops and, and 
four-point turns. It was crazy. I, it, it scares you to watch this thing because helicopters aren't supposed to do what this helicopter does. And then, of course, the uh, Thunderbirds. Um, all just a ton of fun. It was You should have seen the beach. It looked like spring break on steroids. <laughs> it was so good to see a, just a really big crowd out enjoying themselves uh, and watching the airplanes. It was great to... Uh, meet people out there and talk to people, you know, just a bunch of enthusiasts. I mean, it's just a, a beach full of people that were just enthused about having the air show. Um, I, I'm looking forward already to next year. I can't wait to get back out there and see it again. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you taking the time to tune in. If you enjoyed the podcast, please tell a friend and share it on social media or leave a review. Catch Outdoors is hosted by Hank. Available via Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Facebook page, Catch Outdoors. Our website's catchoutdoors.com. Until next time, get outdoors and enjoy. Enjoy.